Uh, Johnny, here we are again. And, and I, I was just thinking about uh, the sort of like the calendar of, of an entertainer, particularly when you were getting into the business. And it was quite a set sort of pattern over a year, wasn't it? Well, uh, normally you did a pantomime, if you're lucky enough to get a panto, and that would start Christmas and run right through till March. There were long ones in those days. Uh, and then in between, then you do have the nightclub circuit. So it was good. Every town had a nightclub or more than one nightclub. Manchester, Liverpool, Newcastle, Cardiff, they all had nightclubs. So you could do it all three or four months doing those. And then after that, perhaps you'd get a spring season somewhere, like about two or three weeks. And then the summer season started around about May or June, and that would go right through to the end of September. So that was your year, really. And then you'd start again on the next pantomime run. <laughs> All right. Well, maybe we should do it. Let's do this as a as a summer season special. What did you go on summer season with your parents? Was that the sort of thing you you had to go along with? Well, I wasn't part of the show as I was too young, but I, I used to be with my parents. Like I remember learning to swim in Weymouth because my old man was doing the summer season in Weymouth. So I had the whole season there. I had to go to school, of course, in Weymouth before they broke up. So if I was in Weymouth for summer season, I'd be in school. If we went to Manchester for panto, I'd be in school in Manchester. But um, the summer season, my first one I ever did on my own, I auditioned for Richard Stone, his big agent, and he used to put all the shows in the Butlin camps. Butlin, Butlin, Butlin by the sea. There's a holiday that's full of fun for mum and dad, and everyone at Butlin by the sea. Take it slow if you want to. See a show if you want to. And they used to have what they called the resident review. See? So you'd have a, a show with like a comedian, uh, a speciality act, uh, singers, dancers, and then an orchestra in those days. It was t 10, 15 piece in the pit. It was fantastic, really. Wow. So I, I, got a, I got the first one in 1960, what year was it? 63 in uh, Skegness, Butlins. And it's the first time I'd been away from home, really, any, any length of time. And I turn up in Skegness, you know, and I get up to the train. I didn't have a car. And there was a sign that said, welcome to Skegness. It's so bracing. Bracing, <laughs> it was bloody freezing. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at the waves lapping over what um, masqueraded as a, as, a, as a beach. It was like mud flats, you know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> but having said that, the season was great because there was a lovely theatre there. Uh, they bought this theatre partly at the end of the uh, Edinburgh Festival and they transported it brick by brick and built it here. And it was a beautiful theatre. They had two huge, like, alabaster horses, one either side of the stage. Um, there was a pit with, with about 10, 15-piece orchestra in it. We had 12 girl dancers. Um, the, the comedian was an old comic called Reg Dixon and he was big star in the, in the 50s and 40s. In fact, he told me he took over from um, uh, George Formby in Zip Goes a Million in the West End in 1948 and got £1,000 a week. Can you imagine that money Goodness now? Goodness me. Goodness me. Anyway, there was, there was Reg and there was a group called the Three Squires. They were like a, like, like a singing harmony group, like the Bachelors. And then you had, um, let me see what it was. Oh, the Dell and Dor Dorian. They were a, a double act that played vibraphones and guitars. They were like the speciality act. And there was me singing and dancing. <laughs> that was the show. So that started in May and finished at the end of September. Wow. And did you do something different every night? Did you have to have like seven different, you know, your, yourself have seven different performances to put into the show? No, we had four. We did four uh, programmes, as they called it, so the people who were there for a week or two weeks could see four different shows. And then, of course, you had the the, the, special, the, the uh, Sunday nights, you would get the stars coming in to do the Sunday concerts. 
and you get big names coming in, you know, of the day, you know, coming in and they, they do a the Sunday concert. Uh, so I used to go and watch those. I was off that day. So I used to watch. In fact, that's when I first saw Stan Stennett do his full show because he used to fly in in his aeroplane. <laughs> We're looking for fish out of water. So let's set off with that comic Stan Stennett in his private aeroplane. Fish out of water? That poor fish has locked himself out. Go on, Rosemary Squires, let him in. He's trying to fly you to a recording session in town. That's a bit over the top, that comedy line, but we're not here to see how big personalities get from the seaside shows they're doing, like this one at Great Yarmouth. We've got other fish to fry. Because every, every Butlins camp had a strip as they used to take people up for joyrides. So Stan would fly to these places. He'd say it was cheaper than going by car. He'd come into Skegness, do his gig, and fly back home to Cardiff. Because wow. we think of Stan now in, in many different guises, but I suppose Panto is the thing that comes first to mind. But he's a great yeah, guitar yeah. player. I remember playing. He had his lovely Gibson, old Gibson guitar. That was a that was a great treat yeah. to do a radio program with him. Yeah, well, what yeah. was what would his act be? That speciality act on on a Sunday night? Well, he was just a comedian, and he had his guitar. I can remember some of his gags. Actually, it was funny. He had this this whole line about his mother-in-law. They used to do that in those days, didn't they? You know, mother-in-law. Yeah, and wife jokes. And he said, my wife, he said, she was wearing one of these schnoods, looks like a hairnet, you know. From the back, it looked like she was trawling for mackerel. From the, <laughs> he said, from the front, looked like she caught one. <laughs> and then he said, then he'd have his guitar and he'd go, pling. He'd, have, he'd punctuate it with a guitar chord, see. And then he'd say, she went and had a facelift the other day. She doesn't look like a little old woman anymore. Looks like a little old man. <laughs> and that was a guy, but he was a funny man. He had funny, funny. He'd do a good, oh, good, like 40, 50 minutes. And he'd sing and he plays guitar. He had a good act, Stan. Very yeah. good act. Yeah. All right. For you, were you actually then, were you a red coat in that thing or was that no, different no. to being the entertainer? Yeah. The red coats would, they should do their own show, the red coat show. We were the professionals. <laughs> so we thought we were cut above the red coat show. <laughs> Having said that, most of the big stars started as red coats. I mean, Ted Rogers was a red coat. Des O'Connor was a red coat. They were all red coat. But no, I was just in the resident review. And, um, and I had these digs in town, right? And opposite these digs, there was a, another theatre, the Arcadia Theatre, where Dickie Valentine was doing the show there. Uh, um, and there was a, uh, I forget who else was in the show. Um, and it was an ice show. He was doing his act, but it was, a, it was like Diggy Valentine and ice. And some of the ice skaters were staying in my digs. Nice. So it was when I had my first romantic appointment. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'd been, I'd never been away from home before. I was green as grass. So this one guy, I'm sharing a room now in these digs with a guy, Eddie, I think his name was. He was an ice skater. He said, Hey, Johnny said, he got me a bit drunk one night. He said, Jay Johnny said, I fancy that girl up there. He said, I think her name's Christine. He said, and she's sharing with another girl called Julie. I think Julie fancies you. You go up there and she can come down here. I said, what are you talking about? I said, I don't even know the woman. I said, anyway, she's older than me. <laughs> Terribly naive, you know. So eventually I succumbed to this. I'm going now. And I don't know what the hell I'm doing. There's this woman who's looking at me like, what's this kid, you know? <laughs> Anyway, she taught me a few strokes, which I'm very pleased I've used to this day. <laughs> but the, the the funny part is, it was it was up like three floors, I think, where she was. And you know these round tables I used to have, like brass top tables on like uh, removable legs. It just used oh, to lay on top. Yeah. Well, there was one of them in the corner by this by the stairs. So I'm, I'm still naive. I think I better get out of here. If the landlady finds me, she'll tell my mother. I mean, that's my thought. 
I was 20. Tell my mother, you know. So anyway, I got my clothes in my hand and I'm tiptoeing now down these stairs and I hit this table. And it bounded down the doing, doing, doing. I thought, oh my God, it's going to be like one of those farces where all the lights go on, you know, and they kind of caught with my trousers off. Anyway, I stood there motionless. Nothing happened. <laughs> so I thought, oh, I got away with this. So I tiptoed right down the bottom and I was in the, on the ground floor. So I opened the door of my room and he's locked it, see? Eddie, the other guy, he's locked the door because he's got the girl in there. So I go out the back door now. By this time, the light's coming up. It's about up past five in the morning. So I'm stood on the windowsill, knocking on the window. He's in the bed with this girl, his arm around <laughs> And he wakes up and he goes, what the hell are you doing there? He breaks out laughing, screaming his head. Let me in, let me in. So that was my first romantic appointment. A rude awakening, I may tell you. Yeah. Oh, you'll never forget that. Well, neither will we. Um, you just so right. <laughs> <laughs> so summer season, first one. Then um, going up the bill. How do you work your way up the bill? And, and are you as you're watching these acts every night? Are you are you nicking bits here and there? Is that how you're you're learning your you're learning your craft? You're learning your trade. Well, you learn by watching them, really. I suppose you're watching somebody doing their bit. You can see how they how they hold the audience, how they take their, their curtain calls. I mean, things like that. I mean, you, you just learn by watching them, really. You try not to pinch their stuff. I mean, you, you always pinch a gag here or there. I mean, I remember the famous Ted Ray saying once, I walked 100 miles to pinch a joke, and when I got there, I got my old one back. Because <laughs> 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 there's only so many jokes going around, you see. Uh, it's the way you put him over, I suppose. But yeah, Reg, right. he, he he was great. He he said to me, John. He said, I I predict a good future. For you, he said, but don't go doing blue material. He said, because once you're effing and blinding, you, you you got nothing to follow it with. And he was right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because they were funny men without swearing. You know, yeah. they were just funny men. Oh, then learning your, your craft. What sort of things did you see from the wings that you that you took with you and thought, right, I I need to do that, you know? Because uh, I, I mean, I, I've seen a lot of people, and you think, wow, if I could only be as good as them, and you see, yeah. like not moving, sometimes not moving, you know. Well, that's it. You see, my father used to tell me the hardest thing to do on a stage is not to move about, to stand still and try. And... I remember Dorothy Squire. She told me a great thing. She said, when I did the Gibraltar Festival, I think I've spoken to you about before. Um, she said, stand by the mic. Do not hold it in your hand and run about the stage like you're doing 25 miles because when you're over that side, the people over there can't see you. Stand in the middle and command them. And she was dead right because mm. I did it. I won the contest. Mm. But, yeah, you learn from the pros. Uh, you know, you can learn from a bad pro doing something wrong. Do you know what I mean? But the next season I did, what I do after that, that was 63. I don't think I did one the following year. Or oh, the next one was with Lonnie Donegan up in uh, Rill. Oh, he was a massive star, Lonnie. And um, anyway, uh, there was Lonnie Donegan. There was Hilda Baker. Remember, she knows, you know. <laughs> and there was a girl called um, Kim Cordell. She was on a series called Stars and Garters, which was quite big. In the, there was Vince Hill started on it. Kathy Kirby started on it. And it was done a bit like a pub, you know, and they were singing the pub. Anyway, so she was in the show. We we're all in the show. And it was a little theatre in real. I don't know if you've ever been there. It was called The Gaiety. It was only small. Mm-hmm. And it had a semicircular stage, but it only had three dressing rooms. So there was Lonnie Donegan and his band in the main dressing room. There was Hilda Baker sharing with Kim Cordell in the other one. And there was the Ballet Montparnasse, the six girl dancers, in the other one. And I'm in a caravan outside. Because <laughs> I'm like the I'm I'm the small boy in the, on the bit. See? But anyway, I'm comparing as well as doing my act. 
So I said, oh, I can't hear the queues out there. There's no tannoy system in the caravan. I, you know, I'm not going to walk about the corridor all night. So the girl said, um, well, when you come in with us. <laughs> so I said, aye, all right. So <laughs> I go in there with the six dancers. Now, you know what girl dancers are like. Yeah. They don't care if you they're walking about semi-naked because that's what they do. They don't care. And mm-hmm. so I just had to get used to it. The girls are there with half their clothes on. And I, I, I can't say I didn't enjoy myself. Anyway, <laughs> so that was that for a while. And then Kim Cordell had a row with uh, Ilda Baker because she was easy to have a row with Ilda because she wasn't the easiest. Right. So she ended up with us as well. So it was Kim Cordell, me, and six girl dancers in the same room. Then I had a row with Kim Cordell. I don't know what it was about, even though it's so long ago. And it's a big screaming match going on. She's going to hit me and all it. And she was a big girl. She could hit me. Only. Lonnie comes racing up the, co- the corridor. Lonnie was five foot seven, ringing wet. And he stood between the two of us, <laughs> keeping us apart. He said, you're going to have to come in my room, he said. I said, oh, all right. Then. So I ended up in, Riz- in Lonnie's room then. But the upside of that is it was the 1966 World Cup and I saw the World Cup on his television. Wow. <laughs> you know, you say about so dan- a- yeah, dancers yeah. and performers because you are, yeah. you're, you're always in a state of dress or undress, aren't you? It's because yeah, right, you're that's rushing right. to the next part of the gig and you do get quite immune to it. Because I remember doing um, this thing called Cappuccino Girls. She used to do it in a venue on Swansea High Street called The Heist. And there was a lot of glass windows around. And of course, we would put up the petitions, the, so like the, the drapes and everything, between us and the audience. But sometimes you'd forget that there were these big windows behind you. There you'd be taking everything off and people, you know, there'd be <laughs> bras and pants and underwear and all that. And then sometimes you yeah. turn around, there'd be like half a dozen people. I'll never forget in in the 60s and 70s there were lots of strip shows going about and they'd always have the likes of me as like the acts with them but the strippers were the top of the bill and I mean you'd be in the dressing room with them they'd go on fully clothed come off stark naked and they'd be stood there talking to you about something mundane like what time are you going home tonight, John? And they stark naked I'll never forget this comic a bloke called Ray Fell do you remember Ray Fell? And in Bournemouth and around there, I was looking for digs and I knocked on this door and the woman opened the door. It was pouring with rain. I said, I'd like to stay here for eight weeks. She said, all right, stay there and slam the door in my face. <laughs> so, I was fed up. I knocked again and this time she opened the door in a nighty. I thought, what a funny place for a door. So, um... And this girl comes up, I'll never forget. Her name was Patty Powell. And she was this big statuesque girl, you know, and she was stood there, stark naked, and she had plaster on her foot where she'd cut it. He said, you didn't go on the stage without plaster on your foot, did you, Patty? She said, they're not looking at my bloody feet, are they? <laughs> yeah. So, right, so you're going up year on year on year, and it's still going very strong summer season in the 60s. I did another one then in Clacton-upon-Sea. I did three in Clacton, funny enough. The first one I did was like a review show, and then I went back there years later... And it was me and a comedian called um, uh, Norman Collier. Do you remember Norman Collier? Good evening, ladies and... Concert tonight. <laughs> Albert, back to the room. I keep going. Oh, I keep on. Why is it loose? <laughs> you come and eat the chicken and all that. <laughs> oh, good, yeah, Norman Collier, very funny man. And um, a, a lady called Audrey Jeans, who was a very good soubrette type, you know, comedian type, mm-hmm. uh, and the girls um, and an orchestra. Well, they were the orchestra. It was a trio we had there. Um, but it was a lovely show. It was one of those shows 
It was a bit of a throwback to the old days. All the girls had the feathers and the, and the you know, the, the glitzy outfits. And that was a really nice season in Clacton. Mm. Yeah, what what did you do during the daytime, you know, apart from the dancers? But, um, <laughs> <laughs> I got very friendly with some of the dancers. Yeah. No, I, um, I used to go on the beach if it was nice, because you know me, I love the sea and swimming, yeah. so I used to go down the beach. And I was lucky, the first time I went, I couldn't get digs. And I looked everywhere, the place was packed. I thought, in the end, I got this chalet in one of these holiday-like places. You know, it was like a little shack it was. Mm-hmm. But it, so I, it was a bit basic. So I, I bought some carpet, put some carpet down, did it up, painted it. And then this little shack in the, I call it the shack in the car park. Um, but the, then I went to Jersey. I did a long season in Jersey. I did a couple there. Um, did you ever go to Jersey? Not to perform. You know, I remember Chris Chris Needs was always talking about going to Jersey and and uh, yeah, they'd, you know, be there. Yeah, they'd look after you. And the weather's just that much nicer, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. And uh, so I did um, a season at the Hawaiian, the first season I did. That was with a girl called uh, Diane Cousins. Now, Diane, she's only just retired, I think. She used to do the ships a lot. Because I, I did a TV series with her called uh, Stuart, Tudor and Cousins. It was me, Johnny Stewart and Diane Cousins. We did it from the Double Diamond in Kefili. And then she rings me up. She said, John, I got this season in, in, in Jersey. Would you like to be on the bill? I said, yeah. So I had this lovely long season over there. Um, and then after that, I did one at Caesar's Palace. They had a place called Caesar's Palace and the Water Splash, which is another season. But they, I mean, you, I went there like in the end of April. It started first of May and it was snowing when I got on the boat to come home. I mean, it used to last so long and they were full every night. Yeah. There were 15 shows on that island. It's only seven miles long. And they were always full. And you had some great stars over there, you know. You had, there was uh, Joe Longthorn and uh, Bryn Phillips in one show. That was the the, the Hotel de Paris. There was us in the, in the Hawaiian. There was uh, Rene and Renato, save your love for me. They were at the El Rancho. There was um, uh, Duncan Norvell, touch me, you know him, and um, Bobby Nutt. They were at the, um, uh, the Mediterranean. I mean, there were so many shows. Yeah. And they were all doing great business. And we all used to meet up in, in, we, in the daytime and have a great laugh, you know. There was a, a comedian called Pat Mooney and he used to do a thing called Mooney's Monday and we used to, to raise money for, for charities. We used to do this, have lunch, and then we'd all get up and do a bit. And it was a great crack, you know. Yeah. And then and if they made any money, they'd give it to the charity. But the lovely thing oh, is, that you think, you know, but the th- people you've been in Panto with and the people you do summer season with, some of them are mm. massive stars, some of them aren't. Yeah. yeah. But there seems to be a camaraderie that people don't forget, you know, later on in careers, if somebody's gone on to be quite famous, they're still quite happy to, That's you right. know, to, as you say, give you a call, give you a ring, give you a, give you a gig somewhere yeah. on the line. Well, Lonnie was fantastic to me. I mean, he kind of took to me. So I think they used to think I was the kid. They put me under their wing, you know. I mean, so I'd be with Lonnie all the time. And and then um, when I did shows with Ted Rogers, Ted would ring me every day afterwards. Um, And who else? There was Well, it was Lonnie, Ted. Um, Of course, I I did a lot abroad as well, of course. That was, I used to go and do Australia and South Africa and places. So what's, what sort of time? Some, yeah, what sort of time of year was that? That was is that that was usually I, winter. winter if time. I didn't have a if I didn't have a pantomime, mm-hmm. I'd go and do like three months in in South Africa. But it was difficult to get your money out. So they used to say, "Would you like it in do- travelers' checks?" Yeah, what you want? Dollars, pounds? <laughs> so they give it to you all in travelers' checks. So you just come home and whack it in the bank. Goodness me. 
goodness yeah. me. Um, obviously, all the big stars did summer season. Morecambe Wise, um, you know, yeah. do you think of, of, of Blackpool, and, and that was, you know, that, that that golden mile or whatever they called it. When yeah, yeah. when did you start to see it start to tail off? When did it happen? Do you think? Um, I think towards the end of the sixties, it was starting to decline uh, because people were all going to Spain for the holidays. They could afford it now, cheap package holidays. Because in the old days, you went into a town, if, even if I went on holiday with my parents, you'd arrive, we'll say, in uh, Weymouth. Or so. The first thing people did was book a ticket for the theatre for that night. So that was part of their holiday, see? Same as in Blackpool, Yarmouth, all these different places. But then people were going abroad, so there, were, there weren't so many people in these places, you know? Mm. And um, there's, I think there's only one going now, and it's in Chroma Pier, and it's, still, it's, it's called The Last Variety Show, I think. And it goes on at Chroma Pier every summer. And it does great business because it's like a novelty, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm wondering, I think if somebody put on a really good summer show now, it might do well. I mean, Stan, for instance, when I did Panto with Stan Stennett in um, Swansea Grand, that was 1969, he said to me, he said, where can we do a summer season, John? He said, I want to put a season on. So I said, what about Porth Call? There's the pavilion there and it's always closed. Nothing goes on. So Stan took it on. And he put up a wonderful show on. There was, it was him. There was another comedian, like the second comedian. There was a magician, a woman comedian. There was a double knockabout comedy act. There was the Dancing Waters, where they had all these wonderful fountains. There was six girl dancers. There was me. There was another girl called Leslie King. It was a really big summer show. He sold out for the season. He made a blinking fortune. He, so much so, he took everybody at the end of the season to Spain for holiday and paid for everybody. Goodness me, he didn't fly you, did he? No, he didn't fly us. <laughs> but the thing is, the thing is, I couldn't go. I was the only one who couldn't go. I, I was lucky enough or unlucky. If you like, I, I got a, seri a series to do on HTV. Um, it was called uh, Rabbi Dovid. It was a Welsh uh, like magazine programme, and I got booked to do like 12 of these. So well, I can't you know, yeah. not do it. So I did, see. Yeah. Um, but I, some, some of the stories, we had this drummer. He was a character, Ronnie the drummer. I don't think he'd been in many places. He's in the aeroplane apart and he said, God, look down there. He said, they look like ants down there. So somebody, one of the wags said, they are ants. We haven't taken off yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it was a great season, that. I really enjoyed it. Oh, I did a couple with Stan summer seasons. Uh, and more pantomimes I can care to remember. Yeah. You know, it's funny when you're in a in a company. You know, if the company's yeah. a good company, like when you go on a great tour with a band, yeah, those friendships do last. You don't want it to end. You want to go on holiday together afterwards, don't you? It's like it's like it's like a family, isn't it? Mm. You know, at the end of the season, all the girls are crying. You know, we all give you everybody used to give every little present at the end, and all the girls on the stage, oh, the end of the season, because it is. It's been like a family for three months. You're thrown together. This is where you get all these. Um, romantic appointments because you're so close with people you're bound yeah. to get close to them aren't you yeah you know it's like um come dancing somebody's dancing with a girl with legs all the way to the airport <laughs> and for three months oh well how long are they rehearsing every day eight hours a day i mean they got our strong wills i think <laughs> <laughs> or good lawyers <laughs> or good lawyers that's right 
Oh, fantastic. Well, that's the summer season. Um, we, we should do a pantomime special, shouldn't we? Well, let's do a panto one, yeah. Who would be the best person go. to maybe start us on panto, do you think? Who's the who's the, 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 the most, I don't know, most experienced panto person we could go for? Well, there's a few. I mean, the, the oldest one, still, he's still alive, is our dear old Wynn Calvin. He's been in panto for like 50 years. In fact, he did his very first with my parents back in Swansea Grand in 1952, I think he said it was. Wow. Should we, should we try and get hold of Wynn then? Well, let's get hold of Wynn. And let's then, of win. course, who else? Our friend Mike, he's been Mike in loads of pantos. Mike yeah. Toyle. And then you've got Kerry Dupre, who's a, who's a dame. Do you know Kerry? Yes. Yes. And he's, he's, uh, sister, yeah. Yeah. sister. We should get those two on, shouldn't we? That'd oh, be a good one, wouldn't it? The Jones girls. Because yeah. they're not working at the moment. <laughs> 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 and just one That's question right. before we go now. This is interesting, Johnny, because I was, uh, we were watching last week's um, Mal and Johnny show. Well, it, the, I, I forced my kids to watch it. And uh, <laughs> around the table, my daughter has been home since last June living with me because, uh, you know, lockdown. So lockdown, she's yeah. working in the attic and sometimes I let her out. She said to me, Dad, she said, um, Have you ever met Johnny Tudor? And I went, Yeah. And I went, Well, I. I, I must have. It's like he's become my best friend over the last year, and I can't, in all I can't honesty. Meeting you in person. I don't think so. I, I may have bumped into you in the BBC or something, but I don't remember actually being in your company for any length of time. I know you now better than I, I know. know my wife. Well, I tell you what, because we shared some stories, Johnny. It was just bizarre, though. My, my initial reaction was, of course, yes, of course. Oh, no, I don't. I can't. Well, there, there you go. There you go. Well, well but he's forever now, I think. That's it. Ta da, mate. See you next Ta-da. week. Bye bye. Ta da.